Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Lily Kate Show. As the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is coming to a close, a year of propaganda, of lies, of peddling the racist ideas of the left, and the media coverage being completely and utterly biased, we're hoping for the best outcome for the whole of America. Breaking news has it that OSHA has suspended implementation and enforcement of Biden's authoritarian vaccine mandate due not only just to the Daily Wire's lawsuits, but also to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. This is specifically regarding private sector employers and obviously private sector employees for companies that have over 100 employees at them. Look, people, this is good news. This is really good news. And it doesn't mean that we're at the end. If I was on a road trip to Dallas, I wouldn't just stop at the first sign that says Dallas. No, I have to actually drive and get the whole way there. That includes stops and road bumps and roadkill and all. But it proves that we have power. People have power, whether it be in the courts, whether it be in petition, whether it be in the court of public opinion, whether it be in the culture sphere, as we've seen in Virginia, or whether it be in simple polls of approval ratings for the vice president and president of the United States, which are clearly falling through the toilet bowl. This should reveal to us and be very empowering to us that we have power. Not only are we able to stop and suspend these mandates that are coming down the pipeline, we are able to change elections with simple news stories. We are able to change people's opinions by getting them active, focusing on the culture issues and talking about what is important. A special guest today to talk about other things that are important, considering the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and the idea of diversity and should diversity be forced is Luke Negron. Luke, how are you today? Miss Lily Kate, good to see you. I'm doing really well. You were the Republican 2020 nominee for Congress uh, in Pennsylvania. How did that come about? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I I've been involved in politics literally uh, my whole adult life, ever since I was old enough to even marginally think for myself, eight or nine years old, uh, politics and leadership and then military life, all of that, which kind of blends together, has fascinated me. Um, and then I studied political science, national security, and communications at Grove City College, and interned with um, uh, Rick Santorum, worked with the Trump campaign, worked with some local political offices in college. And then as I kind of got older, I saw a, a big open door for young leadership. I, I saw it on both sides of the aisle, and not only for young leadership, but also for um, political outsiders for people who weren't kind of your traditional like 60 year old guy who's also happens to be a millionaire and you know then migrates into politics there's real a real desire for for young uh, voices for outsiders and I thought um, if people like AOC could do it uh, why why not try my hands so that's kind of what what brought me to it um, at, towards the end of 2019 and then into the 2020 election cycle. Young people are way more marketable. And if we're going to start reaching the youth, then we're going to have to have people who are relatable to the youth. I love that. So you said that you studied national security. Can you tell us about that a little bit? I'm, I'm intrigued. So um, I'm still in the Air Force. I'm on guard status right now. I'm what's called a, a DSG. 
And prior to that, I had studied uh, national security as uh, a complementary minor to my political science uh, major in, in college because international relations and national security uh, and uh, kind of military history, those were all things that have always fascinated me. I always wanted to be in the military. I find them to be uh, not only honorable, but very, very important topics specifically in American life. I mean, we we started off as a, as a country that highly prioritizes our military and, and our ability to, um, to stand for ourselves. And so that's kind of just something that I think on the home front and then also abroad in the way that our military is applied um, in ways, some, some of which I agree with and some of which I disagree with, uh, it's always been very important to me. And it's also something I just, I enjoy. So that's kind of what brought me to, to that. And obviously you care a lot about military. You care a lot about security. You care a lot about self-defense. I assume coming along with that is the second amendment. And in that same vein, you have been posting a lot about the Kyle Rittenhouse trial (laughs) that has been totally dominating the news cycle for the last week as this trial has been going. Tell us your thoughts on the overall trial thus far. Yeah, no, you're exactly right with, with number one, my interests kind of leading into me also caring about the Second Amendment, about the people's right to to bear arms, about the fact that the Second Amendment was always built, not about hunting, not just about home defense against a burglar. It was built as a final check in a system of checks and balances against a possibly tyrannical government. If you go into the, the founders' private thoughts, into the founding documents, that's what it was. People want you to believe it was just about hunting. It's not. People want you to just believe it was about muzzle loaders. It's not. They were armed with what professional military members of the time were armed with. So that does tie into then the Kyle Rittenhouse case, which I think my overview is that um, the case has it has been a joke. I think it's something that never should have happened. Uh, I think it's a bad joke. Um, and I think that this case is not so much just about Kyle as it is about about you and me and every other American. The left wants to, they, they want to make an example of Kyle Rittenhouse and make no mistake about it. In my opinion, they have already made an example of him, whether or not the verdict is guilty or innocent, because they've destroyed his life. They've smeared him. They've lied about him. We have a president who said he was a white supremacist and who weighed in on the case before any evidence had been shown, before the case had been heard. I mean, I could go on and on. And if and when there are riots, regardless of what the verdict is, and people lose their property or, God forbid, their health or or their lives, that blood is going to be on the hands largely of leftist politicians and of the media who spun inaccurate stories, lies, and smears uh, about this whole case. Mm, There are two courts of law at play here, clearly. And one court of law is the court of regular law, right? Your right to due process, your right to remain silent if you want to get a trial when you do something wrong. But then there's the court of public opinion. And that's the court that Kyle Rittenhouse has really been hung in. And that's, that's where he's been ridiculed and really made a spectacle of. And the left, the mob, they're saying, this is just an example. As you said, it's not about him. It's not about race. The three men that Kyle Rittenhouse shot were all white. Clearly, this is not a racial, racially charged issue. You're right. It's about a, a bigger picture of this is what will happen to you if you question us. And is that the type of thing that Americans are going to tolerate? Is that the type of thing that you're going to tolerate if you ever decide to run for office again? Exactly. Exactly. I agree. And, and so a few points there. Number one, on the, the subject of race, it is funny how conservatives have kind of been mocked for saying, oh, the left makes everything about race. Here we have a case where everyone involved 
resolved as white. Uh, and yet we still see it in headlines being made about race, about racism, and not just about race, like not just, oh, about white people. No, no, no. They're calling it racism against minorities. It's it's outlandish. It, it's it's completely uh, detached from reality. And then, no, it's not something that I that I tolerate at all. This is something that I think, like I said, never should have happened. I wish we saw more elected officials stepping up and stepping in and donating to Kyle's uh, cause, um, doing what they could to file suits against these corrupt prosecutors, against the corrupt individuals who have lied about him and smeared him. So there's a lot that could be done. And uh, with a large platform and with uh, power and influence, people need to be doing more of that. I'd love to see that more from conservatives, because like you said, it, it's it's about all of us right now. And uh, and we need to be uh, we need to live in reality and recognize it for for what it is. And even so, too many tweets of people saying I'm getting calls from all my friends and they're asking me, wait, Kyle Rittenhouse didn't shoot three black men. Right. People right. fill in the blanks of what they think the colors of the people are when they virtually have nothing to do with the whole story, because this is about self-defense. Another interesting aspect of this case is the prosecutor. <laughs> oh, the prosecutor, the train wreck of a, of a lawyer definitely should be disbarred Awful. after like taking that gun and putting his finger, his finger on the trigger. And oh, my God, like basic gun safety. <laughs> but I digress. He got that gun and he said, you took this weapon to this encounter. Therefore, since you took this weapon, you lose the right to self-defense because you chose to keep your weapon. And you have to think to yourself, hold on. If I choose to take the precautions to protect myself in a situation that could potentially escalate into something, that means I actually lose my right to self-defense because I thought about it beforehand. Complete lies, complete lies. And it is the expectation though, that they want to set up for all of us because they hate when anyone pushes back on them. So whether it's at the hands of, let's say a widespread COVID mandate or at the hands of a forceful uh, martial law lockdown or at the hands of our left-wing riot, it doesn't matter. All of that can be, you fill in the blanks. They want you to be silent and compliant period. As long as they are the power brokers, they want you to just go along and they want you to be terrified of standing up for yourselves and your neighbors. And like you said, the prosecutor, I mean, the prosecutor violated the Fifth Amendment. Uh, the prosecutor lied multiple times and was called out for it by the judge. Like this isn't right wing conspiracy. He was called out rightly so uh, on the floor by the judge. Roll the clips. I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. You're an experienced trial attorney and you're telling me that when the judge says, I'm excluding this, you just to take it upon yourself to put it in because you think that you've found a way around it? Come on. When you say that, that you were acting in faith, good faith, I don't believe that, okay? And sadly, though, many people don't know this. Like you said, I have, I've talked to many people and seen many tweets that say things to the effect of, well, Kyle Rittenhouse shouldn't have crossed state lines with an illegal firearm. Uh, he didn't cross state lines with a firearm. That's a fact accepted by both sides of the case. Uh, his firearm was not illegal. Actually, that charge was dismissed because in, in the state, it was legal and it was legal to open carry for a 17 year old. The barrel wasn't short enough for it to be illegal. So all of those are things that mainstream narratives that we see going on is uh, is lies and misinformation. And uh, and it's scary, though. It's scary because when I look at that, I see Kyle Rittenhouse's name and I say, 
someone who I love, or I say Luke Negron, my name. I say, because frankly, if I was ever pushed to have to defend myself, I would defend myself legally. And they would do the same thing to me. They do the same thing to Lily Kate. They do the same thing to Joe Schmo out there. Anybody, they want to make an example and publicly crucify you. That's exactly what's happening. And it's sad that that this kid is so young too. The left, as we keep saying, will choose anyone as a spectacle to ridicule and to ruin their lives and you know, hopefully Kyle will be able to sue the heck out of everyone who has slandered him. And I hope for full justice for Kyle Rittenhouse. But they do it all in the name of racism. And they claim that the opposite of racism is diversity. And diversity is this perfect heaven place that we have to reach. Uh, it's, it's a never-ending destination that we can always get more diverse. Right. We can always get more inclusive. And you once tweeted... Quote, we should never appoint a person or pick a cabinet member for, quote, diversity or due to genitalia slash skin color. That is called racism slash sexism, end quote. And that's such an obvious statement to us two. But I want to ask an interesting question. How do you think striving for so much forced diversity in America has hurt us as a society? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and so a, a quick note on, on the diversity, and it's that everyone, especially on the left, loves to say, but sadly, many people on the right have, have adopted this uh, incomplete talking point, and it's that diversity is our strength. No, no, no. Diversity alone is not a strength. If you walk into, and I'll give you some examples, you walk into um, a high school uh, lunchroom, and you see a table of jocks, a table of nerds, a table of black kids, a table of Asian kids, and a table of white kids. That's a diverse lunchroom. But because they are all segregated into their groups, it's not really unified. It's not strong. It doesn't say anything positive about the school. If anything, it says something negative, that they all see reason to separate. But if you walk into, if you've ever been into a church where there are black people and white people and Hispanic people all praising the same God, or you go into the military and you see all of these diverse types of people fighting for the same purpose and the same mission, diversity with unity of purpose and unity of ideals is a strength. So just this saying that diversity is our strength. No, it's not. Diversity alone. Yeah, diversity for diversity's exactly. sake. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that kind of ties into answering your question of how has it hurt us? Uh, many people, including on the right, to sound good, have swallowed the lie that that somehow it's good to have um, a man and a woman and a black and a white and an Asian, but we don't care what they believe. We don't care what their qualifications are. We don't care what their history is. We don't care what their morality is. That's not true. I would rather have someone who looks different than me, is a different sex than me, has a different cultural background than me, but who believes things that are true and right and who's good at their job. If that's if that's the choice, then I'll take that over someone who looks just like me any day. And that's really what America is. We all know that the original intent of America was to be a place that protected ideas, protected religion, protected individual rights, individual property, because we ran from the tyrannical government that that Britain was ruling over us, that we were getting no 
quote unquote representation for our things a lot a lot of things other than taxes in fact and we were never getting any of our requests answered so we broke off from them that's the exact thing that we ran from and we're trying to heal that and that is what the idea of America is based off of in my opinion it's the best experiment that has ever happened and existed on the face of the earth should diversity right not diversity of opinion but diversity based on the left's interpretation of diversity diversity based on physical attributes should that kind of thing be forced no absolutely not and and, and here's why um because i have basically a, a very simple standard and it's that um you should never discriminate against someone for something that they were born with or for something that they did not choose or control. So that means that uh, you're a woman, I'm a man, we shouldn't discriminate against each other either way there. Um, if someone's short and someone's tall, there shouldn't be discrimination. Black, white, no discrimination. Um, however, choices like ideology, like merit, like achievement, like religion, like culture, those are all choices. That's not racism. That's not discrimination. There are cultures that if we remember a certain one in Germany about what uh, 80 years ago, that culture had some very bad ideas to it. And it wasn't racist to point that out and to say, hey, we think our culture is better than yours and we're going to fight you because we think yours is so bad and so dangerous. That's OK. Um, and that's why we shouldn't force, though, a a any diversity that's blind based on um, based on nothing more than physicality, because then we turned a blind eye to those very important choices like culture, like religion, like morality. Um, and that's what we need to focus on in, in my mind. Yeah, that's awesome. Here's an uncomfortable question that I, conservatives always clam up when you ask them because it can give rise to very uncomfortable truths or it can easily be disproved. And I'm interested to hear your answer. How much does race have to actually do with culture and how are they linked? Oh, that's a really good question. All right. So I, I think that this is one that's really important in America because we see a lot of things that are due to culture being linked only to race. Um, and so I think that what it has to do with culture is that it's easier to, to group people who act a certain way together when they look alike. And so that's from the outside looking in. And then from the inside, as a part of a certain race or a certain culture, it's easy to feel like you should be or like you identify with someone who frankly has nothing to do with you just because they look like you. So I'll, I'll give an example as a, a Hispanic male, right? My heritage is, is very mixed, but a lot of it is Hispanic. Um, if I see someone who is extremely rich and extremely corrupt and who I'm not very rich and I would I'd like to say I'm, I'm not corrupt um, and who is uh, older than me and who grew up in a different state than me. OK, those are all extremely big differences, but they look just like me. They look like me. They have the same heritage as me. They fly the same flags. They, they bake the same dishes on, on holidays, you know. It's easy for me if I don't want to put in a lot of thought to look at them and say, hey, I should have their beliefs on X, Y, and Z 
just because they represent me. Now, at the end of the day, did they really represent me? Did they live anything like the life that I lived? No, they didn't. Um, and I think that this is something that we see, again, from the outside happening uh, to various ethnic groups in the United States and from the inside where groups feel like, oh, well, that guy looks like me, so I need to identify with what he claims his struggle is. There's a lot of ifs, a lot of claims, a lot of maybes in there, but that's sadly what we see happening. And then the last point I'll make on that is that it's also um, grouping or mistaking race for culture is a, a great tool in the power play of specifically left-wing media. Because when you put people in boxes and you ignore their cultural choices and you just say, you look this way, so we're going to box you up and we're going to treat you as a conglomerate, as as though you're like one big entity of white people, black people, gay people, straight people. Um, it's easier to control people and it's easier to turn their their figurative guns on each other and to uh, to make them feel like they're all in competition, which they're not. And we see this happening between men and women, too. Men and women are, are complementary. They should love each other. They should respect each other. But we see them being turned against each other because we think that it's like, you know, pink, pink team and blue team. And it's not. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I know. Stronger together. But it's, it actually brings up a really interesting point, kind of going back to what they're doing to Kyle Rittenhouse, right? He is a straight white male. And so it's so easy for them to pick up this guy who acted in a certain way and say to the rest of the white people, right? right. This is not how you're allowed to act yes. and throw him to the side. Yes. Then they'll pick up someone like Candace Owens and, and just berate her and say, black people, you're not allowed to act like her and throw her to the side. They, they take spectacles of people who aren't fitting into the box that they've put out and, and, and use them against what the group thinks should be as a, here's what you can't do. So let's define what you can do and keep pressuring you to look at race through the only, you know, variable in our decisions and always be afraid of COVID and understand that America is evil and racist and let's rewrite our history. And that thus we have the left wing woke ideology. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Race is a lazy man's argument. It just is. It is. Because analyzing this from a very basic standpoint, it's not looking at anything other than what's in front of your eyes. It's not inferring anything. It's not analyzing anything. Mm -hmm. It's not looking at this person's achievements, like you said, looking at the merit they bring, looking at the past choices they've made. It's a lazy man's argument. And in public schools, I mean, I was homeschooled, so that was a blessing. But in college, (laughs) they're teaching you to take the lazy man's argument and look at someone's skin color and be able to write a book about them and imagine exactly what the lifestyle they have and where they're going to be in a few years. That's lazy. And that's teaching us to be intellectually dishonest and negligent in the way that we utilize skin color in analyzing an actual person. I completely agree. I think that's well said. And I'll just add on that, that the left, um, the left, as far as those in power, know exactly what they're doing. So I like to differentiate between liberals and leftists, right? Liberals to me are many times, they're good people who want to do the right thing and they're deceived. Leftists, specifically leftists in power, they know exactly what they're doing and they have very, very bad intentions. Those in power, they know what they're doing and they don't care. And just two examples are number one, 
they say that everything's about race, right? Everything, it all boils down to race. Critical race theory is essentially the theory that everything boils down to what you look like, what your skin color is, and how you've been discriminated against specifically by the white man. Um, but they don't believe that because they say, listen, they say, um, listen to black voices, share black stories, right? Until Candace Owens, Larry Elder, anyone else, uh, Thomas Sowell come out. And then all of a sudden it's, then there's a caveat, right? Then it's not, oh, oh, never mind. We didn't mean black voices. We meant our black voices. Anyone who disagrees, they're no longer a black voice. And then the other example would be, uh, there, there's a very popular saying we had a, a couple, uh, what, a year and a half ago, believe all women, right? Believe all women. Me too. Believe all women until, oh, wait, it's an accusation against Joe Biden. Oh, wait, it's an accusation against Andrew Cuomo. Oh, wait, um, we have some issues here. So now it's not believe all women. Now it's believe our women. And, and so they don't believe their own garbage, but they sell it anyway because it's about power. They're really good at boxing it up and making it look like it's a Christmas present underneath a tree and giving it to <laughs> all of their little minions. Isn't it fantastic? They're acting like Santa Claus. But then my last question for you today is a lot of times we feel like we are forced to associate with people that we don't share a culture with, that in the workplace you feel bad if you have maybe more white friends than black friends in your company, right? Mm. We have this ultra racial consciousness of every person that this idea of white guilt and that you need to have a person of every single color represented at your wedding in the groom's party, right? We have this idea that there, <laughs> there is a diversity requirement for us in our lives. And whether that's true or not, I want to ask you, is it racist to choose people who share your culture over people who have starkly different cultures, values, and traditions? Not at all. And this is a great question, and it's one that ties into what we were talking about just about five minutes ago, which is that mm -hmm. there is a, a difference between chosen culture, chosen ideology, merit, who you build yourself to be, who you choose to, to make yourself into, um, and even religion. All of those are choices. Race is not a choice. Right. So it is not racist for me to say that, hey, I'd rather hang out with um, with someone who generally believes in American Western values with someone who is maybe a Christian like I am because the, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's how best I can grow. And maybe even with someone who shares some cultural values that are like mine because they make the type of food I like. None of that is bad. Like none of that is racist. None of that is bad. That's shared values. That's an okay thing. And those are choices to make. I like opening myself up to other cultures. I like educating myself. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of us prefer the culture that we have chosen. And that's the reason that we chose it because mm. we prefer it. And so when our friends are largely from that culture, it, it doesn't matter. And the beautiful thing about America is um, many people who chose this melting pot culture of, of freedom, uh, this democratic republic, this this ex greatest experiment, like you said, in history, many people who chose it are from different racial backgrounds. Mm, and totally. that's so cool. So you can have people who you are actually at a core in your soul and spirit and who you are. You're the same, even though you're from Europe and uh, South Africa and North Africa and Asia and uh, somewhere in, in South America. And you all came here because you believe the same thing or at some point your ancestors did. And uh, and that's the beautiful thing. I think that's what we should what we should strive for.
Mm. Again, the uniting call, unite under American values. And that's a call that we need to be repeating and boxing up in little gifts and making it look all pretty underneath the tree to compete with the false leftist narrative that's being put under our Christmas trees. So Luke, thank you for coming on today. This was a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Lily Kate. I appreciate it. (laughs) 